Welcome to Real Estate and Coffee. My name is Joel Arndt. Today is Tuesday, October 8th, 2019. Here's some Canadian real estate news while you enjoy your morning coffee. Today's article comes from Bloomberg, bnmbloomberg.ca. Headline reads, Canada's housing market is roaring back with black tie condo launches. More than a thousand brokers and agents sipped wine and nibbled ahi tuna hors d'oeuvres at the black tie sales launch of a luxury condominium in downtown Toronto last month. The 62-story proposed skyscraper in Yorkville, one of Canada's most exclusive neighborhoods, features black marble kitchens with built-in wine troughs, an indoor-outdoor infinity pool, and a piano lounge. Units range from about 650000 to almost $1.97 million for a 1,163-square-foot, three-bedroom suite. Add in parking for $169,000. They're selling out like crazy, said Donna, Donna Borg, a broker at Remax Premier Inc., who spent more than three hours at the sales office on Saturday trying to snag units for her clients. We had to go back Sunday and just wait for a new allocation to come out, and we still didn't 100% get what we wanted. A spokeswoman for Rio Can Reit, which is developing the building with Metropia, or Metropia, and Capital Developments, said more than 70% of the units have been sold since the mid-September launch. Canada's housing market is back with a roar this fall. Benchmark prices in Toronto jumped 5.2% to $805,500 in September from a year earlier, only about 10000 below their peak two years ago. While prices in Vancouver continue to fall, sales rebounded 46%, the third month in a row of year-on-year gains. Montreal and Ottawa continue to chug along, and even in beleaguered Calgary, the energy capital of Canada, sales rose 8.2% in September from last year. In contrast, the housing market is sobering up in Manhattan, as resale prices for condos and co-ops dropped 8% in the third quarter from a year earlier, the biggest drop since 2012. Sales have also declined over the past two years. New regulations in Canada, including stricter mortgage criteria and tax increases to cool foreign purchases, helped stem runaway price gains through 2018. Those appear to have been largely absorbed, aided by the global drop in borrowing rates, record immigration, and a strong labor market. That's put housing affordability front and center in the federal election campaign. I worked 90 hours in one week, said Simeon. Pa- oh my goodness, I'm going to butcher this. Papilus? Papilius? Mm-hmm. Co-founder of Real Estate Center, the Real Estate Center, a real estate management company. He sold 30 condos in one weekend. The pre-sale market is on fire again, but resale has picked up too. We're having the best back-to-back month since 2017. 
Canada's population rose 531,497 to 37.6 million in July, the biggest year-over-year increase in records going back to the 1970s, according to Federal Statistics uh, Agency. Many are ending up in Toronto's booming tech and financial services sector, or attending the city's many universities and colleges. Supply is lagging demand, with even the International Monetary Fund this week urging Canada to ease a thicket of red tape constraining construction such as permitting and zoning delays. I didn't know that. International Monetary Fund. Huh. Government-related fees on new Toronto homes are among the highest in North America, according to an industry group which can add almost 223000 to the cost of a new detached home. The demand side of the equation is incredibly strong, and the supply side is a puzzle that has not been figured out by anybody, said Sasha Kukuz, a partner at Greybrook Capital, a private equity firm with a North American real estate portfolio valued at more than $15 billion, including projects underway. When you couple those together, that's an indisputable upward pressure on pricing flat out, whether it's rental or housing. Both the Liberal and Conservative parties are promising to make home buying more affordable on the campaign trail. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is pledging to boost the cap on homes eligible for a 10% government equity stake to almost $800,000 in costly markets like Vancouver and Toronto. The Conservatives plan to extend mortgage amortizations and review the mortgage stress test for first-time home buyers and remove it from mortgage renewals. Though the fall housing market has kicked off with several big condo launches, the buying period before the election will still be a bit iffy, Borg, the Remax broker, said. No one really knows what to expect. Who's going to be in power? Are there going to be new rules? Because they are really... They really need to revisit that stress test. It's causing people a lot of stress, Borg said. Prices in Calgary and Vancouver are still below recent records, down 5.9% and 7% respectively, according to Terranet National Bank home price indexes. Lofty home prices have pushed many prospective buyers into the rental market, where vacancy rates are at, his- are at historically low levels and rents continue to rise. Despite purpose-built apartment construction rising fourfold since 2014, rental supply is unlikely to come close to demand in the coming years, Robert Hogue, senior economy, uh, economist at Royal Bank of Canada, said in a report last month. A deliberate policy to boost rental supply is needed with specific targets and incentives to achieve, achieve them. The bank estimates that the estimates that the number of renter households will jump by an average of 22,200 per year in Toronto. To restore equilibrium over a two-year time frame, Toronto would have to add an average of 26,800 units per year. The federal government housing agency has ramped up incentives for new rental development, including a rental financing initiative, but projected rental supply falls short of what's needed and needs to at least double, Hogue said.
the thing that stuck out to me about this article, first of all, was, uh, so I'll link to the article and uh, in the show notes. You can see the one chart that they have. It's a, on my screen, it's black. It's a black chart with white labels and lines. And it's just um, a, the benchmark price over time since twenty since two thousand nine, and you, you see the little spike in twenty seventeen. Um, and it's uh, Toronto's benchmark home price. Yeah, the little spike in twenty seventeen, and then like when you look at it, we've basically Toronto's basically recovered. It definitely took a hit, but uh, it's just the, it it's come back up, and it's following us the steady incline incline now. Uh, the article mentions the stress test um, absorbing the the losses from the or the market absorbing the losses from the stress test. But here's like. I think it did its job. Here's the thing, and I think this this graph illustrates that the stress test was necessary. Now, is it hurting Vancouver? Uh, maybe. I think Vancouver's market was based on way too much speculation, and it's still feeling the correction. Uh, Toronto is definitely based on speculation. Like you, see, this graph is per just describes it or shows it visualizes it perfectly the home price is just this nice gradual slope and 2016 it starts to pitch up a bit and then 2017 it shoots up and if there wasn't something that was in place to fix that it was cruising for a million well before 2018 the average the average uh, the benchmark home price being at a million so and it, this peaked out above just above eight uh, hundred thousand. Okay, so we're talking about a $200,000 spike within a 12-month period. That is not healthy. Like, if that trend continued. So I think the stress test did its job in Toronto. And, you know... I guess I want to be careful about what I say about you know people in the industry, particularly mortgage mortgage brokers and and real estate agents, because you get this real estate agent at the end talking about the stress test causing people stress. It's done its job, and agents may have suffered a bad year in 2018, particularly in Toronto, but they are still making money lots of money and the market is back at a at a reasonable pace it's still going up we're still doing well toronto's basically recovered and where i think you know i mean there's still like a supply issue for sure but in terms of what was happening in 2016 and 2017 with home prices we're out of the danger zone. So should it be dialed back now? Mm. I don't see any evidence that the stress test is killing the market, not in Toronto. 
and Vancouver and um, Vancouver is the other market that's really being hurt. But okay, so Canada's housing market is back. Yep, Toronto. Yep. Okay. So um, while prices in Vancouver continue to fall, okay, sales rebounded forty-six percent. The number of sales, the third month in a row of year-on-year -year gains. Montreal and Ottawa continue to chug along. So, like, what's it hurting? What is the stress test actually hurting? You have agents calling, f agents and mortgage brokers calling for the stress test to be ended, and it's not hurting anything. In fact, in it's doing what it's supposed to do. It's correcting the market. It's bringing it back to a reasonable pace. It's still increasing. Although prices are falling in Vancouver, it was the most overvalued and the most vulnerable market in Canada because of all the speculation. So prices are still adjusting. That's how crazy things had gotten in Vancouver. Those prices are still adjusting. Now, I think a positive indicator that the stress test hasn't permanently damaged the Vancouver market is the fact that sales rebounded 46%. That's a, that's, that's a huge rebound. Almost, so you, you almost have half as many sales as you did the previous month. So that's good. And that's the third month in a row of year on year gains. Okay, so well, I guess that's 40 sales rebounded 40%. 6%, uh, third month in a row of year on year gain, so that must be 46% over last year. Cool. Anyway, so that's my rant on the stress test. So that was the first thing that stuck out to me. The second thing, I had actually read, read a second article, and I'll link to this too in the show notes, from uh, Huff, no. Forbes, how America's rich got so rich, and it breaks down the number of billionaires on the Forbes 400 list and the industries they exist in, the industries that made them billionaires. The number one industry, the no, okay, yeah, the number one industry with the most billionaires on that list is finance and investments. So f folks like um, obviously Warren Buffett, who's in insurance and investing, Robert F. Smith, Carl Icahn. Okay, so these are just investors. Like they just buy businesses or they invest in some kind of, like they're the business has to do with like financial products or whatever, or financial services. Anyway, there are 94 billionaires of the 400 who made their billions in finance and investments. The next one is technology. There are 69 billionaires on the 400 list that made their billions in tech companies. Okay, so now what's Let's cycle back to the, this Bloomberg article. And 
it's, it's going to talk about Toronto. Yep, here we go. Okay. Canada's population rose 531,497 to 37.6 million in July, the biggest year-over-year increase in, in records going back to the 1970s, according to the Federal Statistics Agency. Many are ending up in Toronto's booming tech and financial services sector or attending the city's many universities and colleges. I highlight that because I think Toronto without being able to predict the future, okay? Its foundation, its financial foundation is solid. It, it's dependent on the two industries that created the most billionaires that exist in the world today. So, well, okay, that's, a, that's not a, quite a correct statement. I guess, you know, it's just the Forbes 400 list, but... It's a very good, so it's not like the, that created the most billionaires of, in the, you know, in the world, but still two of the strongest industries that are, that are making arguably the richest billionaires. So where the most money is, okay, finance, finances, investments, and technology. And that's why people are going to Toronto. So I think Toronto is only going to increase. Like I loved the comparison that this article. This article is just fantastic all around, because it makes a comparison to. Um, it talks about like how Canada's markets have been doing great, and then it says in contrast, the housing market is sobering up in Manhattan, as resale prices for condos and co-ops dropped eight percent in the third quarter from a year earlier, the biggest drop since 2012. Sales have also declined in the past two years. Now, this isn't to say that Toronto is completely invulnerable. That, that's not what I'm saying. And it's not like like anything could come along and, and shake this. But people talk about the trade war and worry about recession in the States and stuff like that. But there are two diff very different pictures in the, in the economies between the, state, the United States and Canada. Even though we're closely tied, we are still two very separate economies. So I'm not convinced. I haven't seen any data pointing towards Canada, Canada's economy suffering. We picked up jobs uh, in July. The GM strike might hurt the job numbers for September, but anyway, I've ranted enough. Let me know what you think. I'd love to hear from you.
what do you think of Toronto's uh, economic health? What do you think about the stress test? Do you think it's still unfair? Do you think it's hurting Canada, Canada's housing market? What are you seeing? If you're a mortgage broker, if you're a realtor, what are you seeing? I'd love to hear um, your take, your insight. Email me, recoffee at joelarnt.ca. So that's recoffee at j-o-e-l-a-r-n-d-t dot c-a. If you enjoy talking about real estate and economics and demographics, send this episode to someone who might get a kick out of it. If you think I'm an absolute nut and I have no idea what I'm talking about and you think someone else might get a laugh out of it, send this episode to them. I'd love to hear from them too. If you think uh, these articles are onto something, that these writers are onto something, and you know other people who have been thinking the same thing and been voicing the same similar opinions lately, send the article or send this episode to them too, and um, let's start some some conversations. Uh, I share this article on LinkedIn and on Facebook all the time. You can find the Real Estate and Coffee podcast on any podcast platform. Uh, if you subscribe, you'll get an episode daily in the morning. Hopefully in time for your morning coffee, depending on what time you get up. Um, You know, a lot of this points to just uh, a wealthy Canadian economy. There is money in Canada. And now there is an argument to be had for... uh, to be made about how that money isn't getting to the the poorest of the poor in Canada. And I am not going to be one to refute that. I am not one of the ones that says, well, they're not doing anything to get... I'm not like this hardcore conservative kind of, or, you know, capitalist who is completely unsympathetic to people who are struggling and have no idea how to make money. That stuff doesn't come naturally if you're not taught. And even if you're taught, but I mean, I, I think entrepreneurial skills can be taught for sure. The instinct, the entrepreneurial instinct isn't taught. And that, you know, if you're born with it, it just makes things a lot easier if you're trying to make money. So I am not going to say, well, they don't, you know, pull their weight or they don't, um, we shouldn't be just funding them, you know, like, I don't, I don't know what all the arguments are. I believe if you have money, you have a responsibility to, if I have money, I have a responsibility to, to lift as many, to kind of bring the tide in to as many shores as possible, to lift as many ships as possible. So that's why I'm, I'm, I think real estate is one of the, real estate's just the, the one industry, the one system, the financial system, that investing system that I clicked with, that clicked with me, finally clicked with me. And so that's why, you know, I just, I love talking about it. Um, and I love uh, talk, being with other people who love to talk about it and who are investing and who are making money and who are generous as well. 
Uh, that's why I've really connected with Erwin Zito. He uh, and the community, the Iwin community, are they're they're generous, but they know how to make money. He's putting he and his wife Cherry are putting on a, a the Wealth Hacker Conference on November 9th. I am really looking forward to that because there's going to be a ton of people there who know how to make money and are looking for further ways to increase that ability to make money, not just to hoard cash, but so they can put that money to use in areas that they believe in. 10% of all the proceeds from the Wealth Hacker Conference are going to the Basket Brigade, the Hamilton Basket Brigade, literally feeding hungry families in Hamilton. Perfect. And then there's all the speakers, all these people who are entrepreneurs, uh, crazy successful entrepreneurs, successful stock um, stock traders and real estate investors. And then there's Grant Cardone. I think that's all just icing on the cake. I bought my ticket for the networking, for the connecting. Now, I got a bit of a discount on my ticket. If you, I can pass some of that on to you. So if you want to check out the Wealth Hacker Conference, it's wealthhacker.ca. Check out the, there's a VIP tickets, premium tickets, general admission, whichever one you want, just click on it. There will be a little uh, promo code link at the top of the Eventbrite ticket box. Click on that. You can enter the discount code realwealth. All one word. So, wealthhacker.ca, choose your ticket, enter promo code, use the code realwealth, all one word. And if you're going, uh, email me and let me know that you're going. Let's, let's, I, I want to meet up with a group of people there. I want to meet as many people as possible. And, um, yeah, let's, let's figure out a way to, to meet up. Okay. It's Tuesday morning. Got a bright Tuesday ahead of you. Enjoy it.